I have a great question I think it's important for us to ask. And because it's wintertime and cold, I wish, to be honest with you, as a pastor, I wish I had a big fireplace sitting right here about 30 feet wide, and I could just bring all of you down and set you down like I would my kids and my grandkids and just have what I call a fireside talk. That's what I want to do this morning. But I want to, I want to bring something to our thought today that I think is important. It is very simplistic, but I think it's very important. Young people, I want you to hear me today because I think you are in a very vulnerable place in our society, and you don't have the experience that some of us who have a few gray hairs or no hair, uh, uh, you, you don't, you just, you've got a battle in front of you. I want to, I want to help you. Young married couples, young family, uh, all of us, but I want you to hear something that I think is important. I want to ask a question as I begin today. I don't want you to contemplate it. Here's the question on what do you spend most of your thoughts? What's the subject? What's the, what's the thing that you spend most of your thoughts on? I will declare to you that we live in a, a society driven with demand for our hearing because, <coughs> excuse me, the enemy knows if he can get us to listen and vie for our hearing, then he can affect how we think and how we live. And as a Christian, I ask you the question, this question, when was the last time that you genuinely, for any length of time, meditated or contemplated heaven, our eternal destiny. We get so mesmerized with so many things in this world, lights and glitter and all the things that we have and Bible and television and videos and movies and internet and computers that everything's after our hearing and it's so, it's just we're, we're being bombarded with information which is one of the prophecies of the time before Christ would return. We get so bombarded with that. I think we get so enamored with earth we forget about we're headed to heaven. For all humanity, I want to tell you that eternity is just one heartbeat away. Any of us in this room, one heartbeat, we could be in eternity. And let me say this. All humanity has this one thing in common. This one thing we all have in common. Unless the Lord returns, we have in common death. Because of sin, death came, and it will happen. But the good news is this. We will not all share the same eternal future. That is our choice, thanks be to God's sacrifice of His Son. How many of you are glad you have a choice? Listen to the old proverb, chapter 23, 17 and 18. Listen to what the Scripture instructs us. Do not let your heart which is your seed of what you are, envy sinners. If I could just take that line right there, do not let your heart envy sinners. I think if the genuine twice-born men and women and young people across this globe, if we could just do that, it would bring revival to the house of the Lord. Because this world is set up to seduce you to envy. Manipulating, that's Satan's job. But he goes on to say, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day or all of your days. For surely there is an end. And the King James Version says end 
But it doesn't mean the end. It, it simply means, and the New King James Version says, there is surely a hereafter. This age will end, but there's a hereafter. And it goes on to say, and your hope will not be cut off. I want to tell you, the most miserable people on this planet today are people who have no hope. And Moffat said it like this, for something will yet come to you if you are faithful. Psalms 37, 37 says this, Mark, pay attention, be sure you understand the blameless man or woman and observe the upright. Keep your eyes on the right thing for the future of that man or woman is peace. Ladies and gentlemen, our world is seeking inner peace today like never before because of the turmoil on this planet. And let me tell you, most of our world can't find much peace. It's only found in the peace giver. He gives it and the world can't take it away. He goes on to say, for the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors will be destroyed together and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. There is an end to the mercy of God eventually in judgment. It becomes obvious, so hear it this morning. What occupies our thought life determines how we live. And how we live determines our future. And even as Christians, we can excuse obedience to God any way we can try to justify it. But I want to tell you something. It affects how you live. And Dave's talking about tithing 101 today. Let me tell you, you're either giving to the Lord and being obedient and living under blessing, or you're robbing God and you're living under a curse. That's Scripture. Say amen. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, the genuine success of our Christian life is determined by how we keep ourselves aware of our literal eternal destiny, heaven our home and our Savior who made the way for us to be there. We believers, I think, should talk about heaven. I think we should pray about heaven. I think we should read scripture about heaven. I think we should meditate about heaven because let me tell you, our future is glorious. It is a holy future. It is an absolute eternity. Do not allow Satan to distract you from longing for the celestial city. Our enemy is relentless to get us off course. And before I read the text this morning in 2 Corinthians 4, I want to set this up for you. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, which was a very carnal church. And they, didn't, they weren't able to see into the spirit realm. And he's trying to set up the fact that Satan puts us in a battle and we're having to deal with that. Ladies and gentlemen, I said it last week, we, you and I are in a spiritual war. Whether we like it or not, we have an enemy that's dedicated. So he's setting this up, and, and I want you to listen to what he says. Here's why I want to say that. In Christendom and serving God today, perhaps a majority of Christians are suffering in this world just like those who are unregenerated, those who are we call lost, not saved. Even the Christian struggles, and we feel like sometimes that we don't have any resource. There's as many Christian divorces as there are unchristian divorces. And I just want to point out, Paul says this, listen to his words directed by the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 17. Let me read 16. For we do not lose heart. 
Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed but day by day. That means the Spirit of God is working in every one of us if we're twice born. But verse 17, notice his phrases. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more excellent or exceeding and eternal weight, weight of glory. Light affliction. Verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Christian, we're supposed to be looking at things that are not seen. And he says that. For the things which are seen are temporary. Temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. <coughs> Excuse me. I wanted to sh share something with you. I know it's obvious. <coughs> Excuse me. In this present age, Satan has stirred this planet until we are living in darkness. The magnitude of problems of humanity on this planet are overwhelming. The devil has flung glitter and lights and decorated death for centuries. But especially in these last, this last generation, I want to share with you, because of all he's done and all the camouflage of sin, Satan has the attention of multiplied millions. Temporary materialism, fame and fortune... Bright lights and expensive automobiles and all those things are paraded in front of our youth today. And the message from our world is, this is the life. This is what it means to be successful. This is how life should really go. And I want to say again, he, Satan has the attention of millions. And the striving and the striving and the striving goes on. I deal with it every week. Our psychologists, our psychiatrists, our counselors, our hospitals, our prisons, our asylums are filled with people who have those kind of problems. When I was a boy uh, out in the country, uh, I liked to play cowboys and Indians. Uh, that was back then, you know, when you had the, the mask and you played with the guns, you know, and, and because I wanted to do that, my mom would make my three sisters play with me. I'm the only son and had three sisters. She would make my, my sisters play cowboys and Indians with me. Well, the problem with that is if you, it's, I said earlier service, most swords cut two ways. You know what that meant? Then she made me play with my sisters. And for a guy, that is not fun. So I'm going to date myself here. I wonder how many of you in this room, how many have ever heard of what's called paper dolls? Guys, please help me out here. How many of you at one time, mom and dad said, play paper dolls? Please raise your hand. Thank you for admitting it. It helps me feel so much better. Paper dolls. It, it, it's, a, it's kind of a different thing. I think we have some up. You, you take these paper clothes and have the tabs on it, and you have to fold it over the shoulder or the leg or the arm, and you change clothes on these little paper doll things, and, and uh, you play with them in imagination and all that kind of thing. You have to punch them out and do all that. I never was enthusiastic about paper dolls at all. <laughs> But I learned one thing, you fold those little tabs and you use that a time or two, and please hear me, 
it got to where they were extremely fragile. And it wasn't very long, you'd fold those tabs a time or two, and the little paper tab would fall off, and the covering would fall off. You had to be careful because all the covering would fall off. So fragile. I want to share with you today, there's a lot of paper doll lives in our society. Multiplied millions are struggling with the problems of life just to cope with daily living. And suicide, ladies and gentlemen, is at an all-time high. The enemy has done his work. He has scarred and wounded hearts. Deep emotional wounds and scars are the norm in this society. The globe is covered with millions of lives that have lost their covering, lost their veneer, lost their pretense. It has fallen. And ladies and gentlemen, our society is at the mercy of an enemy who has our attention on the wrong things. Paul said for the believer, all this is light affliction. For the believer, this is light affliction. But they don't seem like light affliction at the present. The thing I want us to catch out of that is this, that God has given us sufficiency in all things, Paul wrote in another epistle. I want to say praise God, our Redeemer, our Savior, our, our Christ who made a sacrifice. We have Him now seated at the right hand of the Father who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Let me tell you what that means. Let me sum that up for you. If you're really a believer, there is tranquility for your soul. There is great comfort for your spirit. There is great consolation in, in your life. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you with power if you do not allow the enemy to control control your attention and he says he will Satan cannot if we keep our hearts and our minds on things above so there's a discipline required about what we think about saints believers if we keep our minds on things above it keeps us from sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the immediate And our world is falling prey to that by the millions. I want to declare to you this morning, it is imperative that you know who and what has your constant attention. In early American history, when our pioneers traveled from the east to the west to set up the new nations and settle it, that was a very treacherous journey. Food supplies were extremely scarce. The possibilities of attack for take anything that you had was constant before them. So they had to keep moving. This was a major, major tough life. They didn't have all the benefits by any means that we have. How many of you like the push-button world we live in? I like it, don't you? I like air conditioning, heating, and all that. I thank God I'm not living in a covered wagon. I'm glad I don't have to use an oil lantern. I, I, like, I like what we have. But let's go back and realize these people struggled. They had to keep moving. But there was a special danger come springtime. And that danger was because of melting snow from the mountains. It caused the rivers to swell and they become raging torrents of water. And the only way to cross for the pilgrims the travelers was on horseback. 
And so here's something our history tells us. They would have to stand on the east side of the river, so to speak, looking across to the west side of the river, and somewhere downstream they would have to fix a goal on the far shore, a large tree or a boulder. Or a, or a beach of some kind, some type of goal, they had to set their mind on it, and they had to start upstream. And as the horse struggled to swim those raging torrents, they would eventually wash downstream and land at that particular goal. But here's something interesting that I read. They had to keep their eye on that goal, the rider, because if they looked at this rolling water, they would lose their equilibrium in the motion. And many hundreds fell from horses and were swept away to their death in the raging streams. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, fellow believers, as you and I traverse this terrestrial ball, this present darkness with all of its dissonance, if we do not fix our attention on our eternal home, on our Savior, on obedience to Him, and absolute likeness of Him, this world will rob us of our joy. It will rob us of our peace. It will dominate our thoughts. It will bring pressures, and we will be vulnerable like the world because we have not intentioned on God, and we will not be able to cope with what Satan can bring to us. We will not consider them, as Paul said, light afflictions. And without obedience to God and genuine living in Him, instead of saying, Lord, as we sang today, let go of my soul and trust in Him, we'll be saying, God, what are you doing this to me for? Why are you letting this happen to me? I didn't put any sugar on that pill. I'm telling you, I hear it all the time. Because we want it just wonderful all the time. I'm telling you, if Satan can keep our attention on things of this world, it will devastate our faith. But let me say the other side. If I will determine to be led by and empowered by God's Spirit and God's Word, He will keep us, Job, Jude said, He will keep us from falling and present us before the Lord faultless. So I want to hit us with something really tough. The Christian has adequate power, adequate ability, sufficient grace and mercy and power from God to handle all affliction. That, ladies and gentlemen, ought to be incentive enough to keep the Lord in our heart and to live right. Amen? Let me make some observations. I only have two points. Brother Perriman preaches three and ten points. I just got two this morning. Two points. First of all, the Old Testament saints lived looking for a city. It's something they never got to see in this world, but it was so real to them. It affected their faith. It affected how they thought. It affected how they lived. They kept their eye on, eventually, that city. The writer of Hebrews, if, you, if you'd like to turn there, talks to us about that. In chapter 11, I'm going to be reading. Listen to what this author talks about. He gives us, in a sense, the secret of the unseen. It's called faith. The secret of the unseen. In, in verse 10, Abraham, he waited for the city 
which has foundations, whose builders and maker is God. This man stood in the land of Ur and Jess and the Chaldeans, and God said, you go. And he said, where? And he said, I will lead you. I want to tell you something. Don't, don't sell short Abraham's faith. Here's a man who had many children, many grandchildren, had all the men and women by the thousands, and he's going to call everybody in the family to load up and take off to a place that don't even know where they're going. You talk about faith. But he had, God had put something in his heart about this city. And I want to tell you, these people had very few comforts in life. They had to move often. They lived in tents. Can you imagine traveling all the time in the tents? He, 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 they had troubles. They had diseases. All the things that are in the natural in that kind of a world. And yet Abraham was able to look beyond all that to a city that God said, I have built for you. And gentlemen... Moms, dads, grandparents, please hear this. He taught that to his family. I thank God for public schools. I thank God for private schools. I thank God for Christian education. But I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. It is no school's responsibility to teach your family about God and the Word of God. Parents, it is your job. It is your job. It is your job. Everything that happens in your family, take it as an opportunity to go to this book and teach your children about how to handle everything in life because this book has the answers. Dad, grow up and be a dad. Your 12-year-old daughter shouldn't have you wrapped around her little finger. I know you shout me down. His wife, Sarah, look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received the strength to conceive. 99 years old, history tells us. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him, God, faithful, who had promised. Abraham taught his family. The next verse talks about his children. Listen to this. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, he too, too old to have children, and yet God miraculously gave it. Were, all these were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Ladies and gentlemen, these people had faith. It was, it was uncanny. Look at verse 13. All these died in faith, not having received the promises, but look at this. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want you to notice those phrases. Having seen them afar off, assured, inside, embraced them, and confessed them. Keep right priorities. Priorities become obedience. So I got a pungent question to ask us again in 2019. What has our attention as we travel today? Here's a good question. Do you consider yourself a stranger and pilgrim on this earth? Do you consider yourself a stranger and pilgrim on this earth? Or are you conforming? 
to this darkness in your lifestyle, in your relationships, in entertainment, in habits, in how you dress, in all of this world's values conforming to the darkness. And can I be as as bold as I can be and tell you that Scripture tells us those are the very things, those things that ensnare us for the saved people, we have supposed to have been delivered from these things. Pastor, don't you want to be blessed? Yes, I do. I don't think God has any problem blessing us and blessing us and blessing us. But he he has to bless us when he has our whole heart, the first fruits of our lives, our time, our treasure, our talents. God has to be first. Everything has to be first place. And we have to keep that faith, that city that we're headed to in mind. I read something the other day I thought was interesting. And just think about this. It says this. When an unbeliever dies, he or she leaves behind the best they will ever know for eternity. When the unbeliever dies, he or she will leave the best they will ever know for eternity. But when the believer dies... He or she leaves behind the worst they will ever know and go to the best they will know for eternity. That's good truth, ladies and gentlemen. Look at verse 20. This is amazing. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Can I paraphrase that for you? Isaac said to his sons, Look beyond this. Look far beyond this. I want you to keep your attention, son, as you live on things to come. In verse 22, listen to this. By faith, Joseph, you remember this Joseph in the Old Testament? By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, listen to this, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Sometimes the scripture, you just go, wow, really? He gave instruction concerning his bones. Here's here's what's happening. Joseph knew that his children and his grandchildren were headed to the promised land. And he said, when I die, I want you to put me in a a casket. Actually, the scripture says, the old King James Version says, a hope chest where we get our hope chest from. And he said, I know that you're going to go to the promised land Take my bones with you, and I want to be buried in your future blessing. And don't kid yourself. For years and years, scholars differ about what kind of time it took and all that sort of thing. But every day they traveled, that man's casket, if you will, was a constant reminder. Pay attention to eternal things. And in verse 25, Moses, it says he chose to suffer affliction rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin of Egypt. In verse 26 gives the, listen, here's where it tells where your value system is. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Boy, there's a, there's a guy who had his heart set on the right priority. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2019, I want to declare to you that because we are born again 
And because we have the Spirit of God in our lives, you and I can take the pressures. We can face the fears. We can face the doubt storms. We can face all the demands by being certain that this world does not misdirect our attention. Amen. Point two, New Testament. Those, these saints looked for a new heaven. Let me just tell you something. It dawned on me something this week. I, I've studied the word of the Lord for many, many years. It dawned on me something this week. And I was reading about it, and it just, it, it, it just... Do you know that the Old Testament saints weren't Christians? <coughs> I just went, what? You, uh, wait a minute. The Old Testament saints weren't Christians? Believers weren't called Christians till the book of Acts. And Christ had not come. But it doesn't mean they weren't believers. They believed looking for that city. But watch this. The New Testament believer Christian looked for a new heaven. Follow me and I'll be through. In John chapter 16, Jesus said, In this world... You will have tribulations, but watch what he said about it. He said, but I have overcome the world. I want you to watch something here. That's in verse 16. Verse 16. In the world, tribulation, but I've overcome the world. But I want to tell you something. When he said that, in the temporal, physical, human reasoning of the human mind that absolutely made no sense whatsoever. You know why? Three chapters later in 19, they bludgeoned him, they plucked his beard, they crowned him with thorns, they nailed him to a tree, they murdered him. And it sure didn't look like he had overcome the world. But let's go two chapters earlier. He told them, he told them, he said this in chapter 14, Yet a little while and you will see me not. <laughs> but I will continue to live. And he said to the disciples, Because I live, you will live also. So I'm going away. You won't see me for a while. I'm going to be crucified. But I will live again. And because I live, you'll live also. And in the middle, he said, there's a lot of affliction in this world, which he himself understood because he had it. And he said, but I've overcome the world. Let me sum it up for us today. Do not let... This present message that's pounding in our minds and in our spirits and in our world, information overload, everything, do not let this present darkness dominate your attention. I want to put it in simple terms. Do not let this world dominate your ways. Do not let it dictate your values. Do not let it dictate your priorities. 
Do not let it determine your lifestyle. Do not allow the enemy to blind you to absolute eternal truth. Our so-called higher learning institutions have been teaching for 40 years that there are no absolute truths. I want to tell you, I hold in my hand the absolute truth. One, one final verse of scripture. Luke 8. Listen to these words. It happened on a certain day that Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Verse 23. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a one storm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water, the boat, and were in jeopardy. And they came to him, the disciples on the boat, they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? That sounds pretty blunt. Where is your faith? Let me tell you why it appears bluntly. Let's go back to verse 22. He said to them, watch this, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Hear me, that was an absolute guarantee. When he said, get in this boat and let us go to the other side of the lake, that was a guarantee they would arrive. But in between, they missed it. You know why? Satan got their attention on that which is temporal. And that's the trick he's pulling us. Young people, you're not as experienced as perhaps some of us. I beg you as a pastor, do not buy what this world says is truth. Don't buy it. Let me be as blunt as I can be because there's so many voices trying to destroy you. You cannot choose your gender. God did that at your conception. You cannot choose... So many things in life because you were bought with a price. You're not your own. God has first rights. One of the most imperative things in your life, albeit God needs billionaires, I take nothing from it, but I want to tell you something. God will, His will is the most supreme thing in your life. It's the most important thing in your life. Pastor, our world is being duped. This meant that the enemy is blinding our minds. And I want to tell you, it breaks my heart. I deal with it every week. Tragedies on every hand. Tears on my office floor. Unimaginable. 
You will say, well, Pastor, why would, you, why would you bring a message like this? I'll tell you why. Because I love your soul. I love you so much I have to tell you the truth. Scripture says the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them so that they cannot perceive the truth. Let me give you one promise and I'm through. When he said, let's go to the other side of the lake, it was a guarantee. Let me tell you something else my Savior has said. I'm going away, but I'm coming again. I'm going away, but I'm coming again. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a guarantee. How many of you want to be ready when he comes? How many of you want to be ready when he comes? My prayer is, Lord, help us keep our eyes and minds stayed on you. Because the promise is, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me. Whose mind has stayed on me.